welcome back to the Hamster Book Club. My name is Joe Ford. You all know me. I've got three magnificent guests with me today to talk about Original Sin by Andy Lane. And I'm going to ask them all to introduce themselves now and to tell us what the very first Doctor Who book they read was. First, I'm going to throw it over to you, David. Hello, this is my podcast debut. Um, I'm David Gillespie Pratt and nice icebreaker. First, first Doctor Who book, non-fiction. And it was, it's either special effects or visual effects. It's the Matt Irvin um, book on visual effects from 86. And it was in our school library. And it was around the time of the 92 repeats when Revelation was on BBC Two. And that's kind of when I started watching the series. And it was just like all these photos. I didn't, I don't think I actually read any of the words. I just looked at the pictures and it was just the most exciting thing. It was like, what is this series? And what are all these things? So it's like, that was one of the bits that started to get me into the series proper. And then, yeah, I borrowed that book so many times. What was your first fiction book? Uh, the same library also had Inferno and Snake Dance. And I borrowed Inferno because I thought the cover was brilliant. I think I probably read about half of it because I was about 10. So I think a lot of it just went over my head. But that was kind of the first book that I started to read. And I've read it since and I now get it and I understand it. And it's a much better book than I realised. The thing I wish I'd done because it was the proper hardback as well. I wish I'd nicked it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's quite a rare one. I got, I got criminal, criminal credentials set in stone already. <laughs> I got banned from my local library for nicking their copy of Rusty to, uh, Benjamin Cook's The Writer's Tale. They wrote to me for like a year and then they told me never to come back in. So it's still on my shelf with the, the stickers on it. I shouldn't really say that out loud. Okay, next I'm going to throw it over to the man who is responsible for every podcast I've ever done. And that is Mr. Paul Quinn. Hello. Hello. Um, <clears throat> I'm Paul Quinn. And... I jinx every podcast I'm associated with, so this one could disappear quite rapidly. Um, my first Doctor Who book, uh, let's think. Um, so I started watching Doctor Who about 86 or 87, and it was a Peter Cushing film, the second one. And then when I went, when I changed school in the autumn of 87, our class library was very small and was on a windowsill, and it had Monster of Peladon, Day of the Daleks, Dalek Invasion of Earth, and Underworld. And I think it was probably Underworld, which is why I have a strange love for that story, even though, you know, it's demonstrably a terrible piece of television. But in the book, it kind of works. You don't get Tom Baker flapping the scarf in that bored fashion. And we had, um, what do we have? We had um, Seeds of Doom in the main library and we might have had masculine dragon we also had the time machine which is like doctor who old doctor who isn't it because we were blessed in town that time joe because we had lots of places to buy them from oxfam was selling them for 20p there was the book exchange which had the curtained area over and you know is it something something not right you know is it a bit risque oh it's your comics you're embarrassed about but there was the shop next to john's fish bar that did sell pornography and that's where he made most of his money from it was like um it was like in the big sleep isn't it by by chandler where the book they've got the pornography around the back of it so yeah it would have been it would have been underworld i think um or or 
Day of the Daleks. Def, definitely, I remember when they were doing seeing if you could read at an appropriate level, reading Day of the Daleks to my teacher, and and he had a very strange way of talking. I remember, yeah, da, exterminate, exterminate, and it was a very very odd moment. And because it's got the beautiful but really rubbish pencil illustrations and those, I think the Zabi is probably there as well. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's one of those. But I I distinctly remember Day of the Daleks and um, Underworld, and I remember reading Darling Invasion of Earth that Christmas when we were away, and just it's the bit with Larry and the brother, and you get them him remembering life before the invasion because it's Dick feeds that stuff in, and I remember it now, and that's what like forty years ago or something insane like that, or thirty five. So yeah, it's one of those from that run. So it's 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 definitely a Terence Diggs. And that's, it's from that oh, small. The library of first books you got there, do you know? Okay. I said, I said that's an entire library of first books you got. It there. is, yeah, it's terrible. And <laughs> now I'm going to hand over to the wonderful James H., the man who can defend the Ergon, the Monoids, <laughs> and Tanya Lennox's costume. And, and, and to, tonight, I think in the spirit of original sin, I'll say, come on, my actual name is Body Dysmorphic Continuity Obsessed. Okay. <laughs> You can call me James as a, as a shorthand. Um, yeah, I'd say kind of, it's interesting kind of Paul's comment about Oxham stuff. Um, I finally worked out, because I since you did the pilot of this, and I thought, oh, God, he's going to ask me, isn't he? Finally worked out the first one that kind of I actually got would have been The Visitation. Um and I think my, I'm, I know my parents bought it for me and they probably bought it for me because they recognised Peter Davison on the cover and thought, oh, yeah, we watched that the other week. Yeah, because that was a, I mean, that wasn't a second hand one. That was brand new. And that came out ridiculously swiftly after the, the TV episodes were shown. Um, But then, yeah, the kind of this whole thing of charity shops and second hand bookshops, which is all, all but vanished from the world. Um used to carry around a scrap of paper with me you know which kind of this gradually ever diminishing list of books i needed to get um and there was one particular bookshop in st leonard's the name of which escapes me i could direct you to it by telling you which roads to go down but yeah um and he used to have a massive doctor who section um and kind of being good at maths was quite useful because i used to say, kind of say right if i've got this much money what combination of books will get me the most words or the most pages for the, for the least amount of money? Um, so, yeah, but it's interesting as well. Just looking at the shelf, I've got um, special effects, technical manual. Technical manual, I know, was an early one for me as well. And like David, it's like, wow. You know, the pictures of all these things, like the, the spaceships and, and the line drawings and the cutaways and stuff. Um, so, yeah, kind of say kind of we got the the visitation soon after it was broadcast and that was it that was the biggest mistake my parents ever made well i said yeah um, <laughs> possibly a few other ones but um yeah like giving me pocket money that was another one i think but yeah kind of and there is um as joe's seen this before but yeah there's there's five entire ikea bookcases beside me of Doctor Who books of various descriptions. Um, and yes, I'm also going to put my hand up and say there is at least one somewhere on the shelf um, which I might have accidentally borrowed. Oh, there it is. From my primary school library, 
<laughs> which I never even told them I'd borrowed it. It might be the first edition of the Crusaders that I accidentally nicked. Your fee's bloody enormous now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's a very interesting selection of books there. Um, and I'm assuming... I'm, I'm assuming that you went on to buy more. I know you did, Paul, because I had enormous book envy of this incredible floor-to-ceiling bookshelf that he had in his bedroom. Um, I used to borrow quite a lot. With those fabulous... We talked about this yesterday. Those fabulous... Um, do you remember those double edition targets? With the oh, the silver stuff? ones. Yeah. yeah. The, the only books that ever steamed up in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Today we are here to talk about Original Sin, which is New Adventures number, I haven't done my research, uh, but it's coming in just after Human Nature and just before Zampa, I believe, introducing Christopher Quedge. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> um, other Technically it's but okay. uh, he insists on Quedge because it's easier. And Rosalind Forrester. Uh, we've got the Doctor and Bernice at their height. I'm going to do a quick round robin again and ask what your relationship with the new adventures is. Back to David. New adventures. So when I started buying Doctor Who magazine regularly, about 94, they were just something that was in it. And I, never, I wasn't really interested in them. And I think there was like one of those, it wasn't the works, but it's kind of the equivalent of the works sort of late 90s. And they had basically all for about five pounds about 30 different titles. And I was like, I'm just going to buy one. Because like I've seen so much about them and they did, I think they'd just done, one of Doctor Magazines had done their polls. So I thought, everyone bangs on about human nature. I'm just going to buy this and see if this is any good. And very much on the shelf, they had like all the ones now that you probably spend about 500 pounds on. So there's a little bit of my brain going, why didn't you buy more? But no, I read human nature and I, I liked it. And it took me a while to get into them because I started kind of doing the sort of BBC books around that time. And then when I got to uni in around 2002, that's when I properly got into New Adventures. And I was sort of scouring second-hand books. So I was in Liverpool at the time, going through second-hand bookshops, book fairs, and picked up quite a few. Um, I think there was one second-hand bookshop that had two copies of Witchmark. They just could not get rid of that because it is bloody awful. Understand. Um, um, and that was actually the first when I started reading them at that that cycle. That was the first one I read, and it nearly killed me on that. Then, but I was like, no, these are meant to be good. Keep going. And the book after that is Nightshade, oh. and that that I think I read in a day. And then I didn't read every single one in order. I think I kind of picked and chose ones that interested me, and I had quite a full set. Then I moved to London. I got very poor and I had to sell some of them. And I had I had dying days, I had happy endings, and I, literally I was at sort of rock bottom. It's like I, I got to sell some of these precious things. And I regret that. Yeah, you could buy a house with those now, do you know? You could, I, yeah, that, that would be Not like in London, you couldn't. <laughs> but um I've still got majority of of the collection so when new adventures came up and it was original since like i've got that one i remember reading that one that's a good one i think sort of what's your general feeling about them at the time so i say it was about 2002 when i was kind of really sort of came my way through them and these were really i enjoyed them 
and it was kind of, you know, Doctor Who's not coming back. This is doing something different, something a bit more bold, experimental. But reading this back now, it's it's dated, I think, in some ways. And so my relationship now is they're interesting, but it's almost like a, a road not taken now. Yeah, I don't disagree with that assessment, actually. Paul? Well, as you reminded me last night, I, I, I don't like love and war. I never liked love and war. And, and I think probably problematic would be the description of my relationship with the new adventures. So I read them, started reading them when they first came out. And, you know, it was axed. It wasn't axed. It wasn't coming back. Was it stories brought uh, wider or more breadth that you can show on the television? And you read Genesis and you think, I'm not sure about this. Here's the doctor sending that woman back off into prostitution. It's it's just, it's an odd one to try and reconcile what you just watched. Then, of course, Exodus comes along and you're in safe hands. And Exodus is awesome. You still remember bits of Exodus. It was a bit weird. And I, I kind of dipped in and out. I had no memory of this whatsoever. And I'm not sure I even read this the first time because I went rooting through the box in my dad's loft where they're now arch archived. And... Um, they're archived until my sons get hold of them and then they will pull them out and go, what's this, daddy? Which do you like? And this type of thing. So I had to buy a copy of this because I I, I mean, it's terrible because if you say his name, it might appear behind me like uh, Candyman. But yeah, I really enjoyed Higher Science. Um, but I, I think he, most of his television stuff is, is god awful. Um, I mean, his, his, his let's, let's play of literary prestige is just terrible i mean I, it makes me want to take out bits of my eyes rather than watch it even before his other stuff but high science i've got a lot of time for even transit i look back at transit now before this and actually tran transit is better than i remember and transit was set in a direction of travel i think and given naranovich has actually got a proper writer's career i think who emerges from this series i preferred the bbc stuff with the, the, the mcgann material but i think that's partly to do with how the seventh doctor appears in this series this in particular struck me as is awkward and odd and yeah i think dated is, is the word to describe it um it's screaming mid 90s it's number 30 yeah as well Joe. i just just run through it quickly so it, it's there but of course the, you know <clears throat> things are changing down the McGann thing is coming the following year isn't it it's interesting now looking back with hindsight what's coming and what's not going to happen and then what's going to take 10 years to come along so problematic I think is my relationship with these and I know we're going to get a completely different opinion now from James because I know what you think of the new adventures Often. I love them but um I do agree that there is a an interesting start with Genesis I mean I was really lucky. Um, although I was living in Suffolk when they started coming out, my dad actually worked about three minutes from one of the specialist shops in London. So basically, kind of, like I was I could get them almost on day of release, um, just because he was able in his lunch break to go across and get it. Um, Genesis, yeah, it's an unusual one, but I mean, having reread it recently. It's what it, it's kind of it's more the alienness of the doctor coming through. Um, and it's kind of you know something that uh, sort of comes up in original sin is kind of balancing of does he get involved in the civilization or does he try and interfere and change it kind of thing. 
I wasn't massively keen on the Cat's Cradle stuff, the Times Crucible, although I do actually quite like Witchmark. Um, I think, especially as it was done just after the BBC did Narnia, I think it was them trying to capitalise on, you know. Um, and then, yeah, when basically when Benny came along, it was like, oh, I like these even more now. Because um, I did struggle. I didn't struggle with the characterization of the Doctor, but I struggled with Ace. Um, if you kind of... <laughs> so David Everyone's is... <laughs> nodding their heads right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, across the first seven books... Ace's age kind of oscillates all over the place. Her abilities oscillate. Her personality changes from book, and then finally Benny comes along. We've got rid of Ace eventually, and then yeah, um, the kind of the the era of Quedge is basically the era that I absolutely adore. Um, I was just finishing A-levels. Uh, I was taking a year off before university. And yeah, it's kind of like, you know, actually as a as a year-long kind of great way, you know, the run of books. I mean, okay, I know Sky Pirates is a little bit strange. Um, <laughs> if you nod your head much more, Joe, it's going to fall off. <laughs> a little bit strange. It's, yeah. It's Dave Stone. He's somewhere on another planet. Yeah, um, I am inordinately fond of the new adventures. I love them to bits. The missing adventures I am currently rediscovering and loving. Uh, I have had reason to revisit the EDAs recently. And that's an experience. Um, because I've not been asked to discover them in order. And it's very strange because I'm in this weird situation where for this one, I've read Original Sin. And yeah, what you said was thir book number 38. I didn't feel as though I needed to know the previous 37 books. I mean, I know it's kind of like a fresh start, new season, as, as Dieterum called it. But I'm looking at the kind of the um, the EDAs I'm supposed to be reading for later in the year. And I'm thinking, no, nope, I'm going to have to actually sit down and work out the arc up to that point because otherwise if i go in blind i know i'm going to struggle because say by the time the edas had come along i'd done university i had a job um and some of the edas i found so painful to read i stopped reading them um and then i tried to pick them up again and dear god the one i tried to pick up again that was the biggest mistake possible I tried to pick up the EDA arc in the middle of The Last Resort. Yeah. I bloody love The Last Resort. Yeah. But if you don't know what's gone before it... <laughs> it is. It it's is a little bit, little bit difficult to kind of get your head around. Um, but, I, you know, I am... I'm, I love them. I'm a huge reader. Um, I think it's a terrible shame that kind of the interest in the new series books has never really taken off you know it was wonderful when they announced the kind of like the ninth doctor novels and everything oh, brilliant yeah but dwm hardly covers them it's interesting dwm hardly covered the edas either but they still talk about the virgin new adventures so it's just like yeah it's you know i love the virgin but then yeah 
the EDAs was a just because of where I was in life, I think it was a struggle. I'll tell you what, though, I worked for Gardner's Books in Eastport, which is, I think it's now the biggest um, book distributor in Europe. And those new series of ventures, that's the most Doctor Who books that ever sold. Those first round of those new, those yeah. they sold by the bucket load. Certainly more than, you know, the burning that ended up overseas, shoveled into a furnace to power a building. And I don't know, I'm not sure what the circulation laws was come the end of sort of the Benice new adventures but obviously they weren't selling enough I, to... I have some data about that later on okay yeah but also what you said there about original sin I do agree with what you're saying but this is kind of like a new beginning in the it is, yeah. we got very we got very lucky with the jumping on point yeah it is kind of like specifically a you can join in at this point because yeah who knew? And I think the new adventures did that really well and really often I think they made the conscious decision that they weren't going to have like a six year plot arc that they forgot to finish. <laughs> you say forgot to finish. I think it was supposed to have the Daleks at the end and then Terry Nation Estate came in at the end and said, no, you're not doing that. Yes. Uh, the, the, the rumor is actually kind of the Daleks were supposed to come in uh, uh, timeless. I think it is. Yeah. And they suddenly found they didn't have the license. Yes. So yeah, it kind of went a bit tits up. Well, then, sort of as a a reintroduction to the new adventures, how do you think original sitting fares, David? I think it fared quite well. I quite enjoyed it this time round. I mean, there's a lot to go into, but I think there's the, it's accessible because I think talk about things like the EDAs and especially how they went on, that they are so dense. I think sometimes the new adventures could get a bit like that as well. But because I started with human, my first one, new adventure was human nature, the book before that works quite well as a starting point, even though it follows on from sanctuary, but that, so they're kind of going through this of kind of some good entry level books. So if you're new, and I think this is new adventures kind of at their peak in terms of where we now 95. And so I dug out Doctor Who magazine from around the time it came out. And bear in mind, if you go to Gallifrey Guardian, any point in the you know, 91 to 95, the number of stories that are, there's been a deal done, there's been a script written, we've got so many false dawns. But the issue before and the issue that this book came out, it was, it wasn't Amble, it was Universe, whoever, I can't remember who, got, got, who eventually did it. So in one issue, it's they've signed up to this TV movie. And in the issue that Original Sin is reviewed is Matthew Jacobs has been hired to write a script for a Doctor Who pilot movie. And it's like the benefit of hindsight of that's the one that actually happened. But the number of times there was articles like that. So the books were the only proper new story. There was the new adventures, missing adventures and the comic strip. Yeah. And I think by 95, apart from maybe Ghosts of Endspace, which I think, did that come out? properly 95 i know it was held over for a bit but new doctor who stories were thin on the ground so they were flying high so the fact that they decided to do this entry-level reboot almost is like they know this is where people they want new doctor who, this is where they're going to come like um stephen moffat and the pilot wasn't he, he kind of knows he's on his way out but we're gonna we're gonna kickstart renewed interest in the tv series and i think it, it's it's a fairly straightforward story as well, because some some of those new adventures are, I mean, I did start Sky Pirates years ago. I did dig it out last night because I finished Original Sin last night. I thought, 
I'm just going to just, there's a part of me tempted just to keep reading. And then I think I just had this quick skim through Sky Pirates. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I, I couldn't finish it last time. I'm not even sure I can actually get around to starting it this time. So it's interesting that you have this kind of clean slate, blank start, um, fresh start. And then you follow up with something really, really weird. Impenetrable. And I think that's what sometimes the, the, the new adventures would do. They would oscillate between these quite straightforward books with slightly darker, more grown-up themes. And then there'd be something where it's like, what the hell am I reading? And and I think that's just how they were. And I think they were enjoyable for that. There was the variety. And then that's the that's the beauty of Doctor Who is the variety. And I think the new adventures absolutely get that. And they you get your good ones and you get your bad ones. And when they're bad, they're bad. <laughs> but I don't think this is a bad one, do you know? No, no, I, I really like this. I, I I liked it the first time round, and I, re- I I I think after about halfway, I w- I was struggling a little bit. I'm kind of reading it chapter a night, and I got to a certain point in the book, and then all of a sudden it's like I'm reading two or three. I'm getting through this much quicker, and I think it's when the pace picks up because yeah. it um it spends a lot of time world building. Oh boy, yes. And then it decides to kind of do away with some of that and actually gets on with telling a story. I was sort of, when I got to the end of it, I was like, that was a really good book. That could have lost 100 pages. And the 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 plot could still have played out perfectly well. It's one of the longer ones, isn't it? 320, it's I think. It's 90 thousand words. It's towards the upper end of the Virgin New Adventures. It's not the longest Who novel, but it's um, Virgin-wise, it's towards the top end judging by the books on my shelf falls the shadow looks the longest uh i've got the numbers somewhere i can dig them out at some point i think it yeah. felt the longest yeah, bloody oh, God. God. <laughs> yeah. torturous in every sense of the word well what about you then paul did you how did you find this did you think it was quite a smooth read it it, it is i mean in terms of a, a, a jumping on point it's a question of who they think jumping on at that point i mean who are they pitching it to or is it playing to a relatively small readership taking your inside knowledge in terms of how many were selling uh how many gardeners were shifted i was at the other end of that supply chain because i was working for i was just about started working for dylan's at that point and we weren't doing much in that line two years after a year after so it's interesting. I, we, we, a box turned up one day with a damaged copy of Eight Doctors in it, which is probably appropriate somehow or other, given how bad Eight Doctors is. But it's a question of who's jumping on at this point or who the prime readership is. So I, I didn't get the impression it was, it was a jumping on of I got the impression it was to introduce new companions. And because you're no longer in the world of um two years worth of continuity you know the old terry notion point that you can reintroduce everything every two years because that's the average length of a companion therefore you introduce everything to them and to the reader to the audience that's not who they're assuming is reading this at this point they assume it's a fan base hence all the continuity in this but of course if the continuity is wrong or slightly off or doesn't sit properly then there's a problem there for that long-term readership i mean i think it is too long and but I I mean I, I was rereading it today and I had found it slow and I found it rips on a feral pace. It's really badly structured though, and uh, it's interesting what what 
would have been cut or has been cut for the audio version. Uh, you can see what they're trying to do. You know, they separate Benny from the Doctor and you have that kind of typical way of telling a Doctor Who story that you have the companion and the Doctor separate and they, they come to the same. But there's the other business of they don't. And it's a problem you see in modern Who as well. I mean, Chibnall does this in Timeless Children, where the Doctor has to be told everything. Doctor doesn't discover anything. And it's that it's that argument um, against Davison that he's 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 a juvenile. He's not answering. the He's not asking the right questions. In this, you get told a lot of things and uncover a huge amount. So it's quite an odd characterization for all the characters. I think, I think all the points about when Benny comes in, it, it really kickstarts it because you need your original characters because then you can break away from the, from the television. And, and yeah. Sophie Aldridge is wonderful and Ace is wonderful, but this, this, there is something, I think, that argument that, that you've got a character who appears in 87, but everything about her screams 84. So there's something wrong in that backstory anyway. Uh, and then, you know, you get the very well-meaning politics, but it always becomes a joke of white kids firebombed it. Although, of course, that then turns into an incredible sequence in Remembrance of the Darks in, in, in the novel. So I enjoyed it, but I don't know how far it is a Doctor Who novel because I don't know how far it's the Doctor. And therefore, as a jumping on novel, is that, yeah, there's an argument maybe they should have regenerated it. And then you could just do what you like with it in, 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 in the new adventures. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, what it doesn't do is get bogged down in, hello, I'm the Doctor. This Because it very studiously dodges explaining what the TARDIS is. It's kind of a running joke, isn't it? What's the TARDIS? And they just don't answer that question to the two new companions who on first reading do you know they're going to be companions if you go into it cold do you know they're companions i'm not sure we know because we read it before we know where it goes after that so there's something funny about dodging all of that type of 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 um minutia but also of course because they're not with the doctor they're with benny and because you just a lot of jumping between sequences here as well so you don't know what's being said outside of those sequences is so it it's you know having denounced the structure is quite an interesting structure as well but um yeah good but i think is where i'd go with that Joe. james i know you're gonna have a lot of thoughts i i want to i do specifically want to hear what you think about the world building in this novel um so first of all just going back to a, a comment I've, I've called up my data it's approximately one hundred thousand words it's one of only five that broke the 100,000 mark in the Virgin New Adventures. And Falls the Shadow isn't the longest. Oh. Warlock is. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you for not choosing that one. Um, right. The world building, it's a bit of a cheat because it doesn't build the world. It builds upon a world that already exists. Um, the fact that there is reference to solos and things like that you know this is very much trying to give us the world that the third doctor future earth stories like the mutants colony in space i mean basically um you know the novelization of colony in space you know doomsday weapon you can very easily map the stuff that was kind of added into that about the world that the colonists have left behind you can put that into Over City 5. You can put that into what they've generated in Original Sin. So on that side of things, I think it's, you know, it's building upon a world that had already been hinted at. Um, the idea of just kind of like the, the floating structures with the anti-grav engines and stuff, I... I always wonder about these things in science fiction. 
about kind of like, well, you know, would you actually do that? Would you risk the, the engines cutting out and the whole bloody building falling? I mean, um, I think it's Star Trek Discovery um, where you see this kind of bureaucrat sitting on a chair, but the chair is actually kind of like hovering in midair. It doesn't have support, doesn't have legs and stuff. And you think, well, it's a chair. Why would you go to the effort of, you know? Um, I love the moving walkways, though. I love this idea of the kind of the culture of the world that's built up. Um, one of the things that I think this does, but then the range doesn't take advantage of, is I think this would have been a really good world to go back to occasionally. Um, you know, because say it is such I found it so easy to visualize, so easy to picture. Um it's just kind of like, yeah, I I I I could I could see. Although it was very depressing, I realised that I wasn't seeing it with 90s CGI. I was seeing it kind of 2023 CGI. And the thought of in the 1990s them trying to do a slug-like creature crawling up a rope to get it, it's like, hmm, that's, yeah. Um, so I love the world building. Um, the Doctor bit as well, he does discover some stuff. Um, he's the one that puts it together says well okay so where were all these acts of violence oh it's random where were all those people 10 days ago you know he's the one that realizes that kind of you can't look at this as a as a murder mystery sort of thing kind of like you know where 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 was the murder committed you've got to bring the fourth the fourth dimension in and i think kind of that's one of the bits where i thought actually yeah this is a reminder that the doctor is a traveler in time that you've got the kind of um the his brain that works very differently um companion wise i'm going to point out something really cruel there is a very very big giveaway that quedge and forrester are going to be the new companions the fact that they're the only ones that have their portraits drawn at the start of the book. If you actually, A, look at the cover, but B, if you've got the physical book, there are two pictures, one at the start of the novel and one at the end. Quedge and Forrester in their adjudicator's gear at the start and Quedge and Forrester with Quedge in Bermuda shorts at the end. I hadn't skipped to the end, though, when I was reading it at the start. But say, but the fact that the, yeah. the the fact that there is the picture of them at the start is just like this. Oh, what is interesting is that they were never meant to be companions. Really? Yeah. Um, Andy Lane didn't envisage them as companions. He just saw them as kind of like you know characters that were in the book. The companion, because original sin was always going to introduce a new companion. The companion was supposed to be a tramp called Old Tom. Wow. Um, and he was supposed to be like kind of 60 or 70 years old. So a very different TARDIS dynamic, looking down on the doctor as a son kind of thing. He was supposed to be a raging alcoholic. I have no idea if any of the writers would have had any experience of being raging alcoholics. You um, tell me, you know, how Old Tom would work out in damaged goods. Because you know uh, what Chris Quedge gets up to in that. Hmm. 
I'm um, a six-year-old tramp for that. The, the other interesting is, which Andy Lane didn't tell anyone at the time, was that old Tom was supposed to have a secret, and that actually he was to turn out to be Benny's father. Oh, good grief. Yeah, so um, basically though, he realised that old Tom was boring. And apparently he was writing it, and he was having so much fun writing Chris and Roz that he then said, forget what I've said about the companion being old Tom. I want to bring these two in. And everyone said, yeah. Um, he said that basically he saw them like a Han Solo and Chewie kind of pairing. Which, given that Chris starts the book as a giant teddy bear, I suppose. <laughs> what is that all about? The body battle. It's just, it's a wonderful bit of what looks like world building that turns out to be vital to the plot. Um, and it's I just really that. weird because you've got this these very kind of grim dark scenes, and then you've got Chris Quedge there as the teddy bear, and then is it Bell Tempest as a giant elephant? Yeah, and it, it, there are just times where it's it's really jarring, and I think well, I guess that's well, the point. Well, it's but it's weird. Yeah, but then again, I mean. I, I look at this world, you know, the real one around us, and I look at, okay, so at one end of the spectrum, we've got Jacob Reese Mogg, and at the other end of the spectrum, we've got Lord Buckethead. You know, and it's, <laughs> you know I mean, that's kind of jarring, and that's just in the world of politics, you know, I mean... Um... Are you trying to say that you would prefer to live in this world, as ruled by <sighs> Tobias Vaughan? Um, it's... I do like the world. Um... It's a very problematic world, but then what world isn't very problematic? You know, it's a place where when you read the bits between the, the acts of violence, where they actually talk about up until recently, there were virtually no murders. You know, there's an awful lot of detail in there, which basically says, you know, this used to be a really lovely place. And then all of a sudden it's a shit show. Um, and there's, I mean, yeah, 100,000 words. It could definitely do with losing about 15,000 words or so. Um, that would put it down to around the same length as the highest science, which actually I think is more or less the ideal length for these books, unless they've got something really ridiculously complicated to to, to tell. Um, and so kind of, you know, so it, it's interesting that kind of like between this and the Pertwee years, you get a very kind of coherent view of 30th century Earth, I think it is. But the difference between this and the Pertwee years is fans. And that's what Terrence Dix says yes. in a commentary when Toby Haydock says to him, you know, you had this wonderful sort of rise and decline of the Earth Empire in, in the John Pertwee years. With yeah. Three stories. Uh, which three is it? The Mutants, Colony in Space and Frontier in Space. Yeah. And he details it. And then Terrence Dix just goes, fans. He goes, we had none of that in mind at all. We were just putting out a show. In the 90s, of course, we have to join all the dots, bring it all together you know, it is like an encyclopedia sometimes rather than a novel. Yeah. Um... It's serious about that, though, because there, there's, there's certainly a suggestion there that there are wider issues, particularly the, the journey that Pertwee's Doctor seems to undertake. Um, so how far is he just uh, taking on a kind of persona as are these these wretched fans? Look what they've done, because it, it, it 
it's almost perfect because you do get that rise middle period and the decline and and, and i think then the when hulk develops it in um the novel of colony space um, that still sticks in the mind even years after reading it. it it's such a good piece of world but with this one i think we've got that but also we can see the other books that, that lane has read you know you've got blade runner is in here and you've got dune and you've got a kind of a 50 years worth of sci-fi and that that helps us respond to this world in the way we do because we know those other worlds that he's built upon so there's another world that he's built upon there as well which is why i think that's that's one of the strengths of the novel the problem of course is it moves around a bit too you probably don't need and that if you stay there in two locations you have a tighter narrative i think working there um but i think its relationship with yeah it is Joe, you're right it's, it's it's there in the 90s where it's become kind of a smaller audience and therefore it's there for people to play with and it's this connecting back to what we've seen particularly and it's interesting it's part is the, is the is the touch point for that i think um because it's more coherent there across the across those certainly the four seasons season seven is doing something different i think and then once you get into to baker because you've got three distinct periods i, I think so it's interesting part with the, the touchstone there well i seem to remember and it's the age of the people involved as well. in uh lucifer rising they sort of cherry-picked imc as well didn't they and expanded that quite a lot too so it was quite a popular era to go to all right well i'm going to ask you all then if we've all said that this is a bit too long what would you lose david I think you could get rid of some of the random acts of violence because I think there's one, there's one per chapter. And I think by the time you get to chapter three, chapter four, there's a kind of, okay, we've got, okay, we get it now, you know, and every, and I found this time I was almost skipping over them because it's like, okay, there's a, there's a, there's a paragraph starting with characters we've not met before, probably because I've read it before going, this is, they're not important to this. And okay. People get introduced, scene set, Oh, someone's going to meet a grisly end, and you're kind of looking to see how it goes. But it's like, I'm not sure how much they have because they're not. If you meant if it's meant to be selling, they're kind of like they're all being affected by the Akron radiation, and they're all going mad. It's all this brutal rioting that doesn't really come across. It's a bit. I think someone described it as PG thirteen. It's all a bit, you know, a bit bland at times. What's odd as well is you've got both the acts taking place in the scenes and then you've got them being reported at the beginning of chapters as well and i'm like why are you telling us twice we don't need to know twice they, they're really laying it on but the weird thing is that they later on in the book where they sort of tone some of that there's less of that later on and you're getting this there's lots of reports of these riots and this kind of chaos that's going on but it's all happening kind of off stage and it's like well actually not that i wanted to make the book longer but actually, if you really want to sell the chaos that this is all doing, we're not seeing any of that. But I think Paul's point about losing one of the locations, you could lose this, this, that. And I think it was actually really more obvious listening to the adaptation. That just felt totally almost superfluous. In fact, I, I was questioning what Zebulon Price, which I couldn't work out if that was just a really stupid name or not. It is. Um, again, in this quite <laughs> serious tale, you've got this really stupid name. And it's like, okay, so we've got some of these moral arguments, but actually, in terms of moving the... I just, I don't know, I think the plot could have been moved on without him and some of the other characters 
touching some of those beats. Did you notice as well in those scenes between the Doctor and Zebulon Price, in between the moral arguments of the dialogue, you had the Doctor just flashbacking to every single adventure he'd ever had. And I'm oh, like, I remember the APC oh. net, and then I'm going to talk about the Matrix and um, <laughs> just these weird tangents. And this I, reminded I, him of the time he was struck down by radiation on Metapelius Three and things like this. I'm like, is this how he thinks? And that's the other thing as well, in that this is a typical of, yeah, it happens in quite a few new adventures is let's trash some of the past because I think we've got reference to the sense spheres conquered and I think Metabulus 3 has been ravaged and um, is it Florana as well? And it's like, so all these beautiful places, all these peaceful places, no, not, not anymore. You skip into the BBC books, they start trashing all the companions. Everyone's bloody miserable in those well, books. This sure doesn't get out of the new adventures. Joe Grant's miserable. Dodo gets her head blown off. Oh, no, that's Virgin, isn't it? Um, James, what are you losing? What are you cutting? Um, First off, by the way, Zebulon is a biblical name. Oh, it, still biblical... Sounds, it still sounds like a space name, though. Yeah, that's it, yeah but it, um, my, my biblical knowledge isn't great. He's one of the sons of Jacob. So kind of I did wonder if there's some biblical reference in the Zebulon Price stuff. Um. I wouldn't lose him because I actually like some of the stuff that he does. And I think some of it makes it kind of interesting, moral gray areas. Um, I agree that we don't need the double hit of each act of violence. Um, what I, I, I would probably get rid of the TV reporting ones. Um, what I really regret not having, I've, I, I kind of I, I meant to do this, but then I kind of ran out of time because, of course, again, the, it's revealed that everyone who has been in Over City and who has been body battled is. And I want to go back to those violence bits and see how much information is in them that would actually enable you to work out this in, in advance of the Doctor's revelation. Or if it is just acts of violence. The, the new adventures, with, as with the EDAs and with all of them, you need to read them twice, you know, because they kind of, you know, once there's this reveal of kind of why everyone is, you know, is, is, is rioting and everything, I wanted to go back and find out had the groundwork for that been laid or was it kind of like out of nowhere, you know. Um, asking me to read Parasite twice. No, I like you, so I won't. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm say there were some where when you said like we'll see what the randomizer was chosen for you, you should have seen the prayer that I. Yeah, I'm not a religious person, but dear God, I was like, please not parasite, please not pause the shadow, please not strange England, yeah, um, please not adventurous of Henrietta Street, you know. Love that one. Yeah, my eyesight really? can't focus on type that small. <laughs> very strong um, glass. I think that might be the longest, you know. Yeah, it is. Oh, it is. But it's one. It's one hundred and twenty-six thousand words, ish. Mars um, was never one to follow the rules, was he? No. Um. So I would have got rid of the reporting because I don't think it really added anything. Um. I would maybe have got rid of some of the bits of violence, but again, for me, at the time especially. I felt that kind of it helped set up the atmosphere of the world. 
where you've got the seedy dives, where you've got the absolute slums, where you've got the penthouses. And I just felt that kind of, you know, if you got rid of all the violence, then you wouldn't get to see some of the bits of the world. Um, you made the comment about it being PG-13 on our kind of uh, our Twitter thing. I've actually got a question which ties in with something that Paul said. You know, what age group is this aimed at? I think sort of mid-range teenagers. David, what do you reckon? Yeah, so by the time I started reading Eighth Doctor books was when I was about 15, 16. And I think the kind of that level of it's Doctor Who, but it's violent and it's got, it's a bit more sexy and it's and certainly with early new adventures, it's a bit more sweary. It's, it's a bit like what Torchwood did at first. It's like, we can be grown up now. <laughs> We're yeah. going to do grown up things, but grown up things is not toned theme it's we're gonna say naughty words or we're gonna have mostly truck i think as well yeah. i think it was what they got away with because um was it iceberg that has quite a lot of f-bombs they do get and, and that so i think there's that's definitely sort of teenage teenage attitude maybe but i think it's teenagers as doctor who fans of a certain age Paul, what do you reckon? I think it's 15 through to 25 if they're working on the assumption of what age the people were when Doctor Who yeah. came out. Yeah. Um, and therefore, you get those two. You get that quite wide range in age, but it is kind of caught in all oh, we can have people can rub up against each other in a sexy way in space. <laughs> but it is that mark. Because one of the things that kind of I was always saying, all oh, these are supposed to be adult books, it's like if you actually look at the back cover, they're science fiction slash TV tie in. You know, so I think kind of they've, they've got to be a bit careful about what they show because they're being told to put this in the television section. And you'll notice that that's not on the back of any of the BBC books. So you get books like Rags, which then up the gore, up everything like that, because it's no longer in the TV section. It's in the science fiction section. I think they learned their lesson from those yeah. early books, didn't they, where they pushed too far. And I'm not going to detail the scene with the prostitute in transit but it is grim and it's certainly not for a young oh, there's there's actually far worse than that in some of the other earlier books mm. um so kind of yeah i agree that kind of like yeah the the age group i say so if you're aiming this like you know the youngest is about 15 or 16 i think showing too much violence is going to cause a problem with letters of complaint um yeah, the whole sex thing is just so ridiculous. Um, then in the same breath, in your climax, you've got the Doctor slicing the head off the villain, you know. Now, the, the, the villain is a robot, though. That doesn't count. Death to robots is fine, you know. Um, you know, that... So there's the earlier scene where he's rooting around in the soldiers' brain. Oh, I can't oh. remember if that's a... If that, that face is metal or if it... And that strikes me as... That's a peculiarly undoctorish moment. And it makes me think of when he... Ref when refuses to cut the arm off in Caesar do yeah and there's a yeah, but will you know you need to, when, when McCoy's dissecting the, the, the bomb on the on the go-kart in um happiness patrol so what he will take apart, what he won't apart, we got him merrily scraping away in this 
I mean, say that when he pulls the guy's brain apart, the guy is actually categorically dead. He doesn't kill him by pulling the brain apart, um, and it does actually then yeah. reveal lots of the plot detail that we need to to move on. Um, because again, I was thinking about this, and I think Joe, it was either you or David who said, you know, on the the Twitter thing, and it's been said tonight, you know, is it Doctor Who? And I think we've got the real problem, is that. Because Doctor Who ended in 1989, it kind of it had this big decision to make about, you know, do we try and write stories which are what the TV could possibly have evolved into? Or do we kind of throw everything to, to the wind and say, right, we're going to do big sci-fi cities, you know? And I, I think... My main problem is that actually we we regularly kind of miss that target. I think we miss, you know, the kind of the knowing what it's aiming for. Um, and it was very interesting when you said, you know, poetry is pretty consistent. And then you've got the three distinct eras of Tom. You haven't got any kind of consistently themed runs of the stories. And I think coming here, this is what I say, I would I I would have been much happier if original sin had been this length, but then there had been payoff in other books where the world that had been built was revisited because we wouldn't have then needed to rebuild every single world right the way on. Um so as a bit of waste, doesn't it? Because it is so richly described. There's a lot of detail in there. And that's why why I'm kind of really struggling to say what I would cut, because in my brain, we've got an entire world that is still there, still visitable. And if we start to cut things like the violence, I mean it's, it's I mean it's even things like the small detail, like the fact that kind of you know, there are manned satellites up there that have got lasers that can wipe out entire over cities because you're pissed off your boyfriend is cute yeah i mean i say i mean that was just lovely yeah yeah that just that brief acknowledgement of homosexuality in the middle of the book it's just like yeah that's actually really welcome you know i i i remember reading it and thinking oh this is a future that actually i still have a place in kind of thing you know um so i can tell you what i'd lose because oh. well i finished it today and the sequences with the Hith character, whose name eludes me now, is it uh, homeless? Forgotten, betrayed, and alone. Whichever one is scuttling around the city for interminably length passages, and because I thought the regulars were really quite fun in this, mm. I thought the Doctor and Bernice worked really well together, and I really like the journey that Chris and Ros go from her seeing him going, "Oh, good grief." Who have I got lumbered with here to no, he's my partner and we're gonna go off and have adventures together. I like that journey. So I thought they were really, really fun, but then we kept going back to scenes of that Hith character. And honestly, like David and the violence, I kept skipping those bits going, I don't really feel like this is going anywhere. You know? I, I I just like reading them as almost like a travel log. Uh, okay, yeah. And if you're invested in the world, I I get yeah, it. I say, and that's my problem is I got invested in this world. Um and I think it's Say, like, I think I think the prose it went down like vanilla ice cream. It was, oh, it was gorgeous read. And I've read a lot of Doctor Who books uh, from you know a mixed range of authors, quality wise. And some of the prose in some of those, I don't know if you've ever read The Longest Day, or I mean, I could name a couple. 
you know, these things can be tough to read. Whereas I'll skip through this. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's an easy read. I think he Andy Lloyd's written it quite well. Because I say, once I got past a certain point, I just skipped through it really quickly. I think on the stuff with the Hith, so we might talk about the big Finnish version at some point, but it mostly jettisons um, a lot of those scenes. And in a way, I actually missed them a little bit because all that stuff with the Hith and the, the, the conquest of their planet and losing it and the sort of tragedy of that, that's mostly absent from the big Finnish version. And I think it loses something because I think that's another layer of, you know, this is the Earth Empire, they're a bunch of bastards, really. You know, it's all the comments in the empire, and you get this point of view from the subjugated people. And I just think it does add something. You're right, they go on a bit too much. There's a bit too much of them, but I wouldn't lose it completely. I think it does add another layer to the story. Well, I just uh, mentioned Chris and Roz there, and we sort of flirted talking about them. But how do you think this fares as an introductory story for them, Paul? I can't really remember where it goes, Joe. That's the problem. So, I mean, as two characters, yeah, I think that they are, they're engaging characters. It's interesting that they weren't meant to be companions because when you know that they're going to be companions, they scream companions. I mean, they're fulfilling that kind of cliche around the the grizzled old detective and the young partner who's put in there. But of course, there's an interesting play with that type of cliche in that she's a woman of colour and he's a teddy bear. Um, and of course, she's rich as well, which comes into play. So then we're getting in some other cliches around private detectives of the 1930s, maybe we're thinking of those type of figures there. And I think as guides through the city, but also that they... Through them, we learn about the corruption in the city. So I think what's interesting is there's a, there's a kind of discordance between we're told there were no murders, but we do have this kind of quasi-religious uh, religious adjudicator wing who are like Judge Dredd. So here we are again, another world that this has been built upon. Um, and uh, I think the, the, the hit sequences are needed because they are exactly, this just been points we made, they're to show what this world does to non-humans. It's to show what this empire does. There's too many of them, but that's because the book needs another edit. It's the same with the, the scenes of violence and the, the newscasting. What's interesting, they kind of, they kind of miss something there. Because as we revealed that kind of really striking scene that the Empress is, you know, it's kind of like Baron Harkonnen. It's kind of like the God Emperor in the fourth book. It's kind of like that central relay um, that's running Satellite 5 at the end of season one. It's all plugged in. Everything runs through her. It's they. But yeah, we get a TV broadcast that seems to be like it's entirely honest. So what you'd almost we see the violence and we have the TV increasingly happen to cover up for what's going on there. And that would fit in more, I think, with some of the things that are in, in the book that's implied there and that our journey with the hit and crucially Roz's discovery. And then, of course, the discovery that Roz knew all along and her mind's been wiped. I and mean, the mind wipe is really interesting how it works here. But I think in terms of introducing these characters, it's going to be so important to where it goes for my adult memory. I think it's a really good introductory story. It's, it's one of the better. I, th I think... Benny comes across there immediately as, as someone you look to. Something's going on here as well as our kind of introduction to, to these two new characters who have a, that double role of here are the companions, but also these are our guides through 
doctor is and with us and benny doesn't know this well. i mean it's, it's an interesting about benny and um archaeology and how you know the, the 16th century church the 17th century church this kind of notion just keeping everything on top and you kind of lose a sense of distinct sense of the past i mean just built upon it and so we need that guy because with this this is a portal world so we need those type of figures i mean you know think back to the reference to narnia this these are our guides through there. We don't have the kind of Lucy character we learn with. We're guided with these figures who are relearning their world. So I think in terms of that, how they work in the narrative and that function, really important and, and well done, I think. I really love that that thing that they don't do very often. They did it with Sarah Jane, didn't they, the Time Warrior, where they completely get the Doctor wrong, you know, and accuse him of something yeah. that he hasn't done. That's always really, really fun. Okay, what about you, James? Um, I think Qued is done really well. I think the 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 kind of the picture we get of this himbo almost, you know, I mean, he's got his model spaceship still. He's got his parents. I mean, the fact that they go and have the interrogation scene in his parents' house. I mean, it's just there is this wonderful kind of innocence about him, and you just think, yeah, you're about to have your world really bloody shattered, aren't you? In the uh, bloody new adventures, he's got some shocks coming. He's got a lot of pleasure coming as well, but that's a whole other range of the books. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I and yeah, I'm not going to deny that there is the whole the the whole cliche of old grizzled and and new rookie, but as Paul says, you know, the revelation about what actually happened to Ros's previous partner. I think kind of that that benefits from you know the the kind of the naivety of of Chris and everything, the fact that he's body battled himself to be a teddy bear. It's like, oh my god, that is so gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But then Ross James on Chris Quedge. Um, I had the mother of all crushes on him when I was younger. I really did. Yeah, and in that sense, you know, um, it's one of the biggest one of the biggest disappointments of the the audio adaption is the cover where they didn't give him blonde hair. Like you bastards, Quedge is blonde and built for f***ing sake. <laughs> um, and I admit that kind of that's a, a minority comment, but you know, a, a few people just say, well, Quedge, the whole point of me is this gorgeous hunk kind of thing. Um, Roz, I felt I knew a bit about her personality, but kind of I didn't think her background was quite as well established. But again, kind of, you know, one of the things, you know, that's going to it's strange that in this one we've got Quedge's background being very well established, and then in So Vile a Sin, which is Roz's last one, that's where we finally kind of get the Roz background and everything. And of course, you get the whole um, the decalogue about her family and everything. So kind of, it's almost like you know we start off knowing everything about one of them and nothing about the other, and then kind of you know as the books progressed, everything kind of swapped over. Um, I think it's yeah, it's it's kind of seeing the corruption as they discover it I think is really well done um and yeah it's just kind of you know this this wonderful thing like yeah actually we've got almost got like a male Joe Grant joining the TARDIS you know he sees the best in everything he's just kind of happy um and the scene where he has all his fur burnt off because he's basically sacrificed himself to try and save Roz and Benny is actually it's like, oh yeah, okay, you know, um, he doesn't he? He, he loses. Let's say kind of you know, there's there's quite nasty descriptions of kind of like, you know, clumps of 
fur falling off and the burnt flesh underneath and everything. Um, so again, I mean, there's this whole, you know, rebirthing them with the body belt and everything. So I think, yeah, I think it's a wonderful book for them. I think it's, you know, it's a, a great way to do it. David, are you team Chris, team Rawls or team Chris? Oh, definitely team Chris and Rawls. I think this wasn't the first books I read. That I said I wrote, read them sort of out of sequence at times. So going back to their introduction, I mean, you wouldn't get away with companion like Rawls now, not as she's written because she's borderline xenophobic. Yeah. And I can't remember how much that's dealt with in subsequent books. Cause it's not, yes, she's had a memory wipe. She's had a change the all aliens are bad because she's had this implanted memory, but it doesn't kind of, you know, there's no daft moment of, oh, I love aliens now, or they've saved, my, they don't. So I can't remember whether or not that becomes more of a plot line. But it, the, the, it's that is one of the sorts of things of file under, you could not do that in a Doctor Who fiction now. And again, um, I think she's an interesting character. I think of the two, I find her much more interesting. Yeah, I think um, Chris is, he's a himbo, but I don't know. I, it, it's its a bit obvious. But the thing I found interesting, because I was, I was going to say, I was digging through things like Doctor Who magazine, managed to find when they were first announced, and they, were, they only did very small articles, but they were announced as Quedge and Forrester. And I remember that in this, generally in the prose, that's how they're referred to. It's like obviously they're not regulars yet, but Sky Pirates does that. And then I dug Zampa off, and Zampa, it's, it's only, I think it's Toy Soldiers, which is their fourth book, that they become Chris and Ross in terms of the prose. So whether or not that's meant to be a deliberate evolution of them becoming part of, you know, the TARDIS family and all, or is it just the kind of like, someone just said, no, no, stop calling them Quedge and Forrest, or call them Chris and Ross. It just sounds a bit better. But there is something about, and I think Mel has issues with it in Head Games, of gun-toting companions. He's got a few issues with Sylvester McCoy's doctor as well. Isn't yeah, I think, <laughs> I think um, she storms out at the end. But yeah, yeah it, it's bold. It's interesting. And it's one of those things that New Adventures could do, is that you could have companions who you didn't get on television. And going back to another point of like, is it Doctor Who? And it's like, it was Doctor Who in 95 because that's where it evolved it. We're looking at it now, knowing that it sort of circled back to something closer to, not so much what we had in 89, but it's closer to kind of the the, the spirit of Doctor Who on television. So now we, we've got this kind of, I wouldn't say aberration, because that's not the right word, but- Intriguing it, back alley. Interesting. It, yeah. It's, it's an experiment of Doctor Who being more grown up, mm -hmm. but it's now kind of gone back to being more, family friendly, um, more accessible. You couldn't have, it's not just sex, violence and language. I think some of the the tone of some of the stories in New Adventures, they wouldn't be probably even allowed to consider um, doing There's that. There's a lot of torture in them. There's a real lot of torture. There's a sadistic streak through a yeah. lot of these books. Yeah. I think even just at the end of the book when Vaughan is just trying, you know, grasping the Doctor and, he, and, and that's quite graphically described as well. And yeah, I, I, I'm trying to remember. Somebody said it on Twitter. I think it was Gary Russell said it on Twitter. He was talking about some stuff that you wouldn't do now. We're not without a it number was, of uh, edits. I, I did a big finish thread about the rapture. That was it. Yeah, yeah, rapture. Um, that, that that sort of pointed big finish that you couldn't do now. Well, I I, I know it's true because I know a fair few people that work for Big Finish, 
and so the people commissioning it, it all goes through cardiff now and they will come back and say yes or no no you're not doing that you're not touching that one because that's what we're doing on tv or two because it's just inappropriate you know so yeah you're right and i don't think they touch maybe about 80 percent of the new adventures no way not and i'm not saying that's that means the other that 80 percent is bad although there is a sense i mean can we come back to torchwood how far is to what the new adventures is and that you do in you did in torchwood you didn't torture what was done here and you kind of keep it away from the from the main or um particularly torch with john of earth because that sticks like a sore thumb that where is the doctor he's not coming to save you and, and so I, there is a sense in which you you can do it but over there so it's interesting in this whole talk about uh, a doctor universe will there be something there or are they going to be too wary of it because i mean it's interesting just saying that with a cardiff of what say they kind of can't do if you think back to the series one where they're essentially learning how to make doctor who and eccleston without his shirt about to be tortured and the corresponding scene where he tortures the the dalek do or the, or where the dalek has been tortured do we get that now or is there a sense in which that's kind of a hangover of another way of making doctor who yeah um, early on uh, and that you just wouldn't get it because he did yeah the doctor being tortured the doctor without a shirt on is a striking moment and 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 where you find it is here in the new adventures, and of course because Davis has worked with these, is there a kind of a, a connection back there, as part of that awkward first half of that season before rediscover what we said here that 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 family view in which is children, adults, the fifteen year olds, and then you know you, you forget about this strain or you you produce torture and don't quite get it right to start with, because what's adult or what's mature it's sex well no it's not swearing yeah. no it's not you can do a different type of story so it's interesting it's, it's that kind of relationship go look at the sarah jane adventures and then you might see some mature storytelling taking place you know in a very childish way yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um but it's worth mentioning as well isn't it the influence that the new adventures have had on the new series as well i'm surprised given andy lane can clearly write doctor who this is steeped in doctor who um and it's got a pretty good plot that he was never chosen for those first four years it's amazing how many of not just the virgin people but the the eda and the pdn who i mean um you know the one that um astounds me is jacqueline rayner how she wasn't asked to write for the 13th doctor it's just like she would have been perfect you know um yeah jonathan morris how he never did a stephen yeah morris script baffles me because he well, did I, I think that's because stephen moffat did a jonathan morris script ah, there you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> well okay so so to, to kind of uh gently round off original sim hmm. Is I'd like you all to recommend because we said what we cut. Let's recommend something about the book, and if there are any further thoughts that you have, I know you do, James. I can see you there. <laughs> Let's start with David. Uh, I liked the reveal of the villain, and I and as much as we've talked about, you know, is it too continuity or heavy? If that had just been, if the you know Tobias Vaughan, the villain of the books of this book sorry that would have been that would have been fine you didn't need all the extra stuff but those scenes between the doctor and vaughn and 
that's what kept me that the, they were the, the the most interesting bits of those final chapters i just like the sort of dynamic between the two of them and don't know everybody else but you were i was reading that with kevin stoney's voice and you know you can just imagine that kind of silky smooth articulation ah, yeah you know, and and i i really liked that those bits i thought and it was difficult so i i when I was you know starting to buy the books, I was on the internet. I'd reading synopses all over the place. I knew that twist, and I really wish I hadn't. And it's a shame that if anybody goes to pick up this book as a result of listening to this, they're going to have that spoiled, which is a shame. But you know, you we can't not talk about the big the, the big reveal of who the villain is. And fun, you know, I was like, and then when I got to that point where it revealed it at the end of that chapter, I went. Well, of course, in a book stuffed with this much continuity, the main bad guy is a TV Doctor Who villain. Sorry, back to you. <laughs> it, it, kind of, it kind of worked. But the thing is, now, with the benefit of, what, another six or seven Doctors, the idea that he's been hanging around for a thousand years and he just hasn't been quite able to grab the TARDIS off of him, it's like, now it feels slightly ridiculous. Because it's like, all those opportunities, it's like, it, it, even a first... Oh, I was nearly there, but I was too slow. But it's like, it's been a thousand years and the TARDIS has been everywhere in that thousand years. And it's like, that's even back in 95. Now with, you know, how many you know, TV series, big finish novels and everything, it now just feels slightly ridiculous. But ignore that, I really enjoyed those bits. I thought it's a good villain. It was believable in the context of, yes, of course, he, you know, he didn't trust the Cybermen. Yes, he did her download um his consciousness can we buy whether or not he couldn't have built um an effective replica after a thousand years and all the tech considering how sophisticated all the other tech um is again i'm not entirely sure but no definitely uh, if you're going to use a villain if you're going to bring a villain back that's a good one to bring back bring back the best and and the, exactly. irony, the irony of bringing back Kevin Stoney, who died at least twice before his official death. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps dying. I'm sure it pops up every now and again. He's the sort of Tony House of the Doctor Who He's transferring yeah. his mind to other bodies. That's yeah. what. Uh, what about you then, Paul? Well, I'd either cut Tobias Vaughan entirely and make Price the villain, or I'd cut Price and just ratchet up the Vaughan. Given... A lot of the early stuff of Vaughan is hands moving across a desk. I thought it was either Barusa or Chancellor Hardin, because that's what they do in their various villainies. It's lots of hands in darkened rooms. But, I mean, and it would go back to this of, of cutting the disc section. I assume, you know, dis purgatory, you know, Bell Tempest quoting from the 23rd Psalm. There's a reference to grace there. The title itself, there's always kind of theological stuff kicking around. It's never really, it doesn't go really where it should do. And I think, I think, uh, yeah, the, 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 the biblical name, again, it, it, I've just, I just had a look there because I, I, I'd overlooked that Price has got a biblical name. And it, he's not, he's just picked a name up by the looks of, if you look at the, there's only wiki I've looked at. It's just, it's just they say with Bell Tempest, you know, Lord of the Storm. He's an elephant, mate. You know, there's, there's a sense there's a lot, there's a lot of jokes going on here, I think. A lot of this is kind of pastiche or parody. And I think you know, Vaughan is always, oh, I could have got the TARDIS if only I hadn't been going have off to the toilet or something like that. For the, the kind of a weird joke there, and that you accept it and then you don't accept it. Choose, I'd choose the villain and I'd either have Tobias Vaughan or I'd have the, the weird Hannibal Lecter 
looks like he's something from um, a Blake illustration. I've gone one or the other to tighten it up. And then if you were going to keep this, just do more to really, there's, there's a kind of a theological thing going on here, I think, or just get rid of it. And then you can, then you can get rid of this. And you don't need to, because purgatory is kind of a weird thing as well. It's not really, it's not, it's not purgatory in the theological sense. It's just that they've gone for the name because it's kind of sinister and this is someone that will kill you. But actually it feels like, I don't know, Vogue's miniscope or that weird light show thing in, in um, Nightmare in Eden or even the war games, you know, the zones put up against each other. It's kind of, we got vague memory of this will shove it in here because it was good then and we can kind of ratchet it up. So there will be tweaks, I think. And I think to kind of underscore this, what this world is like. So remove one of the journeys off world, keep us in that world that we know, we like, we recognize, we see where all these touch points are and just kind of spend more time there. And, and it's just, just a bit more. Fair. There's an interesting acknowledgement where he suggests that he made it up as he went along, which I don't think he did. But there is a sense there of almost the, the episodic there. And, you know, now in our four, part 14, it's all revolved. And I think there's, there's just there's, there's too much. But I think, yeah, Vaughn in and bring him a bit earlier or get rid of him and just have price and then go full on that kind of psycho horror that's there in that middle bit. As, um, as I was reading the scenes between the Doctor and Vaughn, I was like, haven't I already done this with the Doctor and Price? It's it's so weird. You have they have that sort of almost like the same debate, and I'm like, well, it's kind of muted version of the middle of the book, which is strange. But even though I do think the the scenes with Vaughn are better, and sort of talking about how he's manipulated the world and and all of that. What about you, James? Um, I would definitely. Um, I'm sorry, David. I would definitely get rid of Vaughn. Um, <laughs> I would keep Price. Two reasons. One of which is I love the dis I love the discussion that they have, which is a very Doctor Who thing, where the doc where it's about kind of like why murder is intrinsically wrong and kind of you know why price killing people is wrong, but the doctor choosing to sacrifice planets is right because the doctor just knows, because the doctor kind of goes with um you know what he knows is right. And this whole thing about you know what is Doctor Who? I mean, there is no such thing as Doctor Who. I mean, if you if you took someone from the '60s and showed them season 17, they'd go, "What the hell am I watching?" Yeah. And as David said, you know, this is Doctor Who from the '90s. This is a very specific era. Um, something that David, you would have missed out on. Um, Paul, I don't know, kind of if you would have picked this up at the time, but there is a huge problem with 1995, and Vaughan is the problem. So in 1995, the books are coming out two a month. You've got the new adventures and you've got the missing adventures. And the book that's paired with Original Sin is System Shock, mm. which is all about I squared, which is all about a technology company, which is all about the Doctor breaking in and stealing uh, CD-ROMs and stuff like that. That's in the same month as Original Sin. System Shock, though, actually leads into another book, the book from December of 1995, which is Millennial Rights, where basically we learn that international electromatics has completely folded, it's gone, there's a new company that's taken its place, you've got this guy called Ashley Chapel, who basically is ruling the world on the technology front. And 
I can remember back in 95 going, hold on, a couple of months ago, didn't you say it was Vaughan who ruled the world on technology front? And so kind of for me, it's very strange, this conflict between reading it now outside of the context of 1995 and thinking, yeah, this is a nice reveal of Vaughan. But back in 95 thinking, hold on, this kind of really messes up with what's been going on in the other books and everything. And the most bizarre, the most bizarre thing is System Shock is Justin Richards, this is Andy Lane, Millennial Rights is Craig Hinton, who were all at university together. You know? They're probably and, all talking, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's, you know, Justin and Craig have very clearly shared the kind of the idea and they've kind of left Andy out the loop a bit. And it's why I was asking earlier who edited it. I think Rebecca Levine should have looked at this and said, there's a real kind of problematical sort of continuity going on between our different ranges. But you and I have had this debate, haven't we, when we've talked about TV Doctor Who. Absolutely the person that needs that chapter of Mm. Doctor Who to fit into the overall Yeah, just because my brain works like that basically without yeah. contradictions and you know you know me i'm that person that can just sit there and watch that one story and say yeah. so say it's very interesting kind of reading it now out of sequence out of context out of 1995 comparing it to how it was back in 1995 when it kind of sits very awkwardly between the two other books that form like kind of one bigger picture um it's also great example of how Doctor Who fans really cannot make their mind up as to what good Doctor Who is. Um, So again, going back to DWM, um, when it came out, it was the fifth most favourite book of that particular year. Uh, It was beaten by Human Nature, Shakedown, Warlock and also People. And then when they did their massive poll of all the books and got you to vote for marks out of 10, it actually suddenly became the third most popular of that year. Um, Warlock had dropped to position 33. Original Sin was the 11th most popular. Um, it got a, uh, got 73-ish percent as its kind of mark in their big poll, uh, which puts it roughly in the region of damaged goods return of the living dad also people and blood heat i mean it's you know so again this whole question of what is doctor who what is good doctor who like um because if you then skip forward many years it gets exactly the same mark out of 100 as crooked world does but the crooked world is marvelous you leave it alone all right yeah no no i love it but don't get me wrong I, that's why that's why i checked that particular one but i know that that was one that kind of caused a lot of controversy it's Pleasantville, the Doctor Who novel. Yeah. Um, what's very satisfying, though, is um, it's not quite twice the, the percentage of the lowest ranked Doctor Who book ever, but it is quite close. The lowest ranked Doctor Who book ever is 42%. Which is? Any guesses, anyone? Transit. Ghost of Endspace. Paul? Uh, for, from but across uh, past doctors and eighth doctor, yes, doctor and and new adventures. <laughs> oh gosh, um, I don't know. Um, uh, eight, <laughs> eight eight doctors, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. No, um, the, officially the worst ever Doctor Who book as ranked by DWM is Interference. 
Oh, behave yourself. 43%, 42 and a bit percent. Well, like the Jodie Whittaker era, it's clear the Doctor Who fans back in the day didn't yeah. talking about either. I say it's, it's. Look, I mean, you know, I went through loads of the, the charts to see what kind of, what was roughly seen as equivalent at what times. And yeah, Original Sin um, was very popular in the year it came out. And yeah, 11th out of all the NAs. It's interesting interference gets that bucket poured on it because of course when that came out there was a big old interview with um Mills and uh, yeah, if he was in charge of the show because of course it was very much you know if it was Babylon 5 and no. it would be he'd be a single author and they like, like how it was like Robert Holmes and it was and it's a great book but and it doesn't deserve that I, I think I say it's, it's probably I mean, probably got the same number of 10 out of 10s as 1 out of 10s in terms of ambition yeah, yeah. Interference, mm. great Doctor Who. But anyway, well, that's for. I've read a lot of those BBC. That's for another day. And, yeah. and they're far. More, I enjoyed Interference. I mean, it's the only. It, is it the only two part proper two parter? Well, um, I suppose you got System Shock and Millennium Shock, Millennial Shock, and it um, writes out Sam Jones as well. I mean, yeah. But yeah, I think kind of, you know, if, we, if we're looking to score it, I would actually say around about the 75% mark for me is a really accurate representation of, you know, I'm thinking kind of like 8 out of 10 sort of region for me. Well, so my final question about the book is, before we recommend a book of our hmm. very own, is would you recommend this book to another Doctor Who fan? Because there are certainly Doctor <laughs> Who books that I would not. <laughs> David? It would depend who's asking and how, maybe how sensitive they might be um, and how much they'd be able to accept this is a book that was written in the 90s. And it, some of its values might not work or re be representative of now, because I know there are some fans that sometimes can't put the distance between when something was written to when they read it. But I would recommend it. I think, yeah, 75%. Seven, eight out of ten. That's kind of where it sits with me. I enjoyed it. I think it 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 needs the flab cutting, but it's an enjoyable read. And it, as we said before, it is a good. If you've never read a new adventure before, I think this is a good. This is not a bad one to watch for to, to watch if we could uh, to read for the first time. So yeah, I'd recommend it. I, I I was like you. I think the first third I struggled a bit because I was like, okay, so something's afoot with the adjudicators and the Doctor and Bernice are over here and Chris and Ros are over there. And I'm like, when are these people going to come together? Like, this is taking forever. Then somewhere halfway through the book, the momentum just accelerated right through to the end. And I was, and, it was a clean ride. And just a, just a weird thing, because just, you just remind me of that. They've got all that stuff with the adjudicators and everything. And then they've just got this very strange joke the the um Rashid has got piles. Yeah. Which, which it's just what are we going? I've forgotten that. <laughs> it was just one of those very strange moments. And there was that, and there was I think we've got Silurian singing the Rolling Stones. Yeah. At one point as well, which I think is in one of the acts of violence that I would have cut, but actually that bit I thought this is weird. There was some jokes that I thought really landed, um, especially around sort of McCoy being a bit impish and a bit naughty. There was a bit where they were on those um, those things and they're going in different directions. She goes, oh, Doctor, we're drifting apart. And he's like, oh, Bernice, I know we've been through some scrapes, but yeah, 
I liked all that. And the bit where he sort of got dressed up in the bot costume. Oh, yes, definitely. I thought, like, some of that stuff was really fun. So maybe it wasn't the most responsible uh, Seventh Doctor representation, but it was fun. What about you, Paul? Would you recommend it? Um, I, I would, yeah. I mean, if t- for uh, Doctor Who fans, yes. And I'd say seven or eight out of ten. To non-Doctor Who fans, I, I don't know. Um, I'd be less less certain about that. But yeah, I, I would definitely recommend it. And I think there are some funny bits. The piles, I'm wondering if they know that um, General Melcher in Black Hand Goes Forth, he's meant to have piles, which is why he makes weird noises when he sits down. I'm wondering if there's something going on there about figures of authority. It, it, it's, a, it's a running joke. But yeah, yeah, it, 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 it moves along at a fair old lick once you get into it. Um, it, it does need re-editing or it needs, it needs further editing. But yeah, it's it's... It's I think for fans, Vaughn means something. For non-fans, it's just why have you got another villain turn up at this point? But yeah, yeah. I think seven, seven or eight is 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 where it is. James, and I think Paul. So I think David made a really good comment about it. Depend. <laughs> yeah, doing the fist pump in the air doesn't work on audio. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, it's happy. It it. De- it depends very much on who is asking um because as as i was saying yeah some of the marks awarded to doctor who books over the years have been really bizarre and i think you need to be of a certain type to enjoy original sin um i think if you want if you like your doctor who to be meaningful and emotional and powerful then no i wouldn't recommend it if you want doctor who to be this kind of fun okay high body count in this case but kind of you know story where kind of there are aliens there are ships there's discoveries there's all kinds of quirks and everything like that then yes, I would. So I would recommend it to some people. But given that it's the start of Quedge and Roz, then yeah, I think it's a good jumping on point, regardless. Then I think we're four for four, because yeah. I would recommend this book, certainly to Doctor Who fans. Maybe to non-Doctor Who fans that would be intrigued to see just how tie-in science fiction was written in the 90s. I think it would be very different right now. But like, whilst I've got a small list of complaints about the book, I think I've got a small list of complaints about every Doctor Who book. Precisely. I keep saying it. It was such an easy read. And there are a lot of these books that are a struggle just, just in the prose to get through. And I, I zipped through this. So, yeah, it's a it's a firm recommend for me as well. And I, I just love the regulars. I thought every time we were with the Dr. Benny, Chris or Ross, my attention was completely there. Otherwise, yeah, it was thinking about the dinner or something like that. OK. Well- well, thank you very much, guys. That was uh, incisive and wonderful. Um, now... I know some of you have been agonising over this. Others probably just picked something off the shelf, like me. Um, But I need you all now to recommend a Doctor Who book for the listeners to uh, buy or grab off the shelf. And I'm going to start with David. Uh, This one's been mentioned. Um, It's The Burning. 
<laughs> because it was one of my first Eighth Doctor adventures in terms of this is when I started buying them monthly. And I know Doctor Who magazine bigged it up. This was going to be a reset. It was going to be a reboot. And bizarrely, I did try and read The Ancestor. I did read The Ancestor Cell, but I think so much of it went over my head. Um, that was... I kind of enjoyed it, but I was like, I don't actually know what's going on. But I think the burning and then that that story arc, I think, throughout the, the next five books until Escape Velocity, I thought they were brilliant. I thought it's kind of what Doctor Who does every few years. It decides, you know what, let's just chuck all this backstory out, out the window and let's just start afresh. And I think the ideas probably needed to do that a little more often. I think it definitely, going back to James's point earlier, that they got even more so than New Adventures, they got bogged down in their storylines. But The Burning is a, another great entry-level book. I think it was for me. It was the one that really kind of went from picking up the occasional title to, I need to read the next one now. I need to keep going this. And then getting to Escape Velocity thinking, okay, they're going to resolve this five-book story arc and he's going to get his memories back and we're going to, and okay, no, we don't. And it goes off in a different direction and that's a conversation for another day. But I just remember really enjoying it. It was one of the, took it on holiday, read it in a couple of days. And for me, that's usually a measure of not I'm enjoying it or not. Cause I think the, some of the slowest ones like the pit took weeks to read, but with the burning did it in a couple of days. It was just, a you know, Justin Richards writes really sometimes really, easy to read, enjoyable Doctor Who books, even though the Doctor has lost his memory, the TARDIS is what a small cube um, in his pocket, um, but it works and it's just a really enjoyable story. Whether or not you can get it off the shelf because if it's been pulped or burnt or ended up in landfill or whatever, um, but if you, if you can get a copy of The Burning, I would give it a go. I hate to uh, tell you this, but the very next Hamster Book Club episode is the burning you missed it just by one episode <laughs> i'll be fascinated to see how that goes down because as i said i didn't read it, i just picked as i went kind of picked off the shelf i was overthinking it about in terms of what book would i pick something serious or i'll pick something meaningful will i pick one of those library books that i don't have if anybody asks um but it's like you know what that's just the one that's like it's just a really nice straightforward and it's kind of where Doctor Who was, we talk about Doctor Who in the nineties. That's where Doctor Who was in the early two thousands, and that's when I sort of graduated from you know watching just TV to reading the books, and so it's also, it's got a lot of memories for me as well of being just that's when I got into the wider. I don't like the term Hooniverse. I'm probably going to get some hate mail for that, but I can't stand it. But the wider Doctor Who universe, the Burning was kind of one of the first books for me that got me into that. It's so great, isn't it? Because it's it's kind of mired in the cliches of Doctor Who, because it does feel like a you know an old gothic horror. Um, but there's no continuity whatsoever. I think there's one continuity reference in there, and it it was so refreshing at the time on the back of the ancestor cell, which like original sin was just drowning in Time Lord lore and stuff like that. That's a great choice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to recording that one. Um, oh. I'm going to cheat and I'm going to give you two 
I'm going to give you one that Doctor Who comes from, and because I've got in a plug for work, so that's R U R, the Czech play that gives us the word robot, because you wouldn't have robots to death, or modern ideas about robots in sci-fi. So that's one you can download that for free. But uh, um, a Doctor Who book, um, Cartmel Script Doctor, I've been rereading recently, and it's beautiful and self-aggrandizing, I think, and the pictures make you sad about how beautiful and young everyone is. And it was, it was another world. It was snatched away from us, I think, just at the wrong time. Um, and then you think about what a Cartmore produced series with Ben Aronovich missing deadlines would have looked like in the 1990s. And, and it would have been, it would have been a beautiful thing. But yeah, I, I, I'm a script doctor. Um, just for the nostalgia, I think. And are you are. And if you want something else to go along with that, um, The Machine Stops by Forster, oh, which is another one glorious, that shows you. Yes. The um and there's just a plug for my modules but yeah are you after um uh, script doctor for the doctor you want well ralph's got a wonderful story about script doctor because he goes to a lot of conventions and uh, andrew cartmel walks around with copies of that book and he literally goes oh hi what's your name he goes oh mark and then he writes it in the front of the book and goes right you've got to buy that now that's how he sells that bloody book <laughs> He's a Jew. And I, I never forget the section on Time and the Rani with all the stories about him ringing up Pip and Jane Baker and Pip Baker sort of tentatively saying, oh, yes, you're here to talk about the script. And then Jane Baker's there going, who is it? Andrew Cartmel. She just grabs the phone off him and goes, we're not changing the script. Go away. I'm just bang the phone now. <laughs> it's, it's a great read, that. I mean, I think it's slightly skewered, but it's a great read. It's absolutely it is it's yeah you know, it's one person's view and it's the last man standing but it, it's it's a great book I think and yeah it's 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 fun and it's sad and it's nostalgic and yeah it's it's, it's, it's a great book. James, where are you taking us? I yeah um, again I was trying to think you know, do do I kind of pick one that needs reevaluation do I pick one that is a classic um, and I actually kind of I I changed my mind halfway through um i've gone for one of the virgin missing adventures because when i was trying to think you know you know what you know we, you know what would be good and there was a book that kind of it didn't go down brilliantly at the time it got a very bad review for example in i who um but then it got exactly the same mark almost to the nearest decimal as the book that they described as the best ever missing adventure. So kind of, yeah. um, and it's Eye of the Giant. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and there's there's three things I think. As I'm going to try and do this without giving away too much because I do want, if people read it, I don't want them to kind of necessarily know too much about where it's going to go. Um, yes, it's a bit B movie to start off with, but. It's about a B movie. That's one of the the whole points is that kind of yeah you've got these people who are straight out of a B movie because they're literally filming a B movie. Um, there's a wonderful kind of dual plot, same as we talked about with original sin of kind of like well you've got unit who are investigating one thing and you've got this weird island, which is seemingly a totally different plot, and then you know you can slowly start to see them coming together. Um, second recommendation is because it features Liz Shaw. And Liz Shaw, I mean, she's 
undergoing the renaissance at the moment because of big finish but you know i think really this is kind of like if you like liz Shaw, if you like if if you like season seven there's a big chunk of the book that is season seven if you like season eight poetry there's a really big chunk of the book that's season eight poetry it's this fantastic kind of bridge between seasons seven and eight um and without going into too much detail, about two thirds of the way through, it suddenly becomes a 21st century story, as in reboot style Doctor Who. And I think at the time, people weren't prepared for this. Um, and I say kind of, you know, time travel and Doctor Who and all kinds of things, you know, they're absent from an awful lot of the books. Time travel is usually just a taxi device to get people into the story and then out of the story at the end of it. Eye of the Giant plays with it. And it's one of the first books, you know, as in, in release order, that I think actually plays with time travel and starts to show this is what Doctor Who could do. And as I said, you know, about two thirds of the way through, it does become very 21st century Who, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and yeah, I just think kind of, you know, um, I can see an awful lot of not just kind of modern Doctor Who in it, but the history of science fiction in it. There's giants, there's insects, there's ridiculous actresses, there's wonderful. And also there's Osgood, there's Corporal Bell. It kind of brings these people in but it reinforces that unit was an organization on tv we just got these characters appearing in one or two stories but i think kind of the eye of the giant again is this first indication that kind of unit could have been more so i think it was under underappreciated at the time people complained that it was too b-movie like without realizing the whole bloody plot of it is about filming a literal b-movie um, and then, yeah, the the change in tone two thirds of the way through into something that would not be out of place in modern Who, I thought was brilliant. And to me, it had a logical cause and effect type thing. But again, I can't say too much without giving away big plot twists. Well, I never would have guessed that book in a million years. So thank you for choosing that one. Um, I'm going to recommend the Doctor Who program guide for a very specific reason that I can remember aged, good grief, what would I have been? Six, seven, eight, being around one Paul Quinn's house. <laughs> a very impressionable young man having synopses of Doctor Who stories read out to me. Um, and stories such as The Twin Dilemma, and Underworld and the Horns of Nymon were made to sound and, and beautifully read out, may I say, were made to sound completely enticing. And an entire world of Doctor Who was sort of being described to me. And it gave me the bug, which then got me buying books and videos and Blu-rays and not having a mortgage because I'm spending too much bloody stuff on Doctor Who's starting podcasts, starting a review website. It, it caused a lot of trouble for me in my life. So thank you very much, Paul Quinn. You're um, welcome. But it's, I mean, it was like a Bible back in the day. 
and you know it had i can't remember the ratings it certainly had the actors writers the directors it, there was enough information in there for you to sort of cling on to and then want to go on that sort of archaeology of discovering Doctor Who. And I've been doing it for mm, many years since. Oh, I won't disclose my age. So I, I just think it's a wonderful resource. It certainly was back in the day. It wasn't one with opinions like the handbooks that came out and things like that. So it was just a reference guide. So it kind of left, it gave you the ideas, but it left you to form your own opinions. And I think, yeah, that's that's definitely something that kind of, the books evolved into in the 90s, wasn't it? The kind of like, this is what you should think. No. Yeah, the reference, the, the handbook, the reference guide, yeah. My mine, I'm on about my third or fourth copy because mine's been annotated over the years. I almost went with the completely useless encyclopedia, but I might use that in another episode. You know, it's still <laughs> one of the funniest Doctor Who books ever written. Um, guys, that was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Um, I'm hoping that I haven't scared the three of you off, and I can entice you back to talk about another book in the future if you'd be willing but we'll discuss that off mike because i think it's a bit unfair to ask you <laughs> as we're still recording the episode um but it's been an absolute delight thank you so much you could, if you're online somewhere can you just tell people where you're at in case people are intrigued and want to learn more david uh, hang on. I, this is where I go. What's my Twitter handle? Because I never pay attention. Yeah, I'm I'm mostly on Twitter. I'm at Pi1883. Um, it's mostly Doctor Who nonsense or occasionally I'll venture an opinion. But also I'm building my YouTube channel, um, doing short videos, mostly missing episode or I just get I get stuck into camera scripts and I keep finding these weird random facts. It's like I need to tell people these facts and some people are actually interested. So, um, yeah, find me on Twitter. Go and find him on Twitter, you know. He posts a lot of very sexy running pictures as well. So you won't be disappointed. <laughs> James. Um, mostly, yeah, on Twitter. And like like David, I just had to double check the exact wording of my handle. It's at fitgeek underscore UK. Um mostly kind of Doctor and Science Fiction stuff. Um I occasionally use it for um lascivious purposes and kind of you know so kind of <laughs> I, I flirt i flirt a lot with people on there as well um i've made some fantastic friends on there o over the years i've met wonderful people on there over the years um i've you know i say kind of so it's at fit underscore uk i'm cleaning it up a bit these days for various reasons but doctor who cult tv and yeah I'm gay. I mean, I used to be a kind of a gay rights activist when I was younger. There's a lot of that on there as well. Tough shit if you don't like it. <laughs> Paul. Uh, well, in my day job, I am a lecturer at the University of Chichester, and I'm the director of the Chichester Centre for Fairy Tale, Fantasy, and Speculative Fictions. So there is a Twitter feed for that group. But I can't remember the handle, but if you put in Chichester Fairy Tales, you'll find it. My own personal Twitter feed, which is remarkably unpopular is uh paul underscore l underscore quinn it's mostly doctor who stuff and probably giving a kick into the tories um when i'm on there um but you know all friends gratefully received because i'm a lonely old academic here writing quite a tedious book that has a chapter on doctor who in it um 
And so, yeah, I did. I was on TikTok for a while. I might go back on. I, I read out unpleasant fairy tales that people didn't know from the Grimm's and got lots of likes. But I didn't know what to do with it. And then I panicked and deleted it. But I might have to go back to that. I don't know. But yeah, Twitter is the main place to get me. Or you find me on the university website and you can send hate mail if you like. But my PA might deal with it. Well, I say PA. It's not really a PA. What is, I don't know. You know. But yeah, so we are. Oh, yeah. Um, I will plug what might be our Doctor Who c.s lewis conference in november um if it happens and i will put it out on twitter and because joe you're very popular you might send around the information about it if people want and maybe give a paper on c.s lewis or doctor who or both the challenge is to do doctor who Alder suckley and c.s lewis given the anniversaries are all there the same weekend um but yeah that's me popular i don't know about that it's a it's a very obscure level of popularity, but it is. Um, boys, go and go and seek out these guys. It's three, as you've heard, unique voices. You've been absolutely wonderful today. I can just say thank you very much. Pleasure. Really, really loved it. Thank you. Great. Been great. Thank great, you. Great. Thanks, everyone. And I'll um I'll see you down the line. I hope. Well, Amaral, <laughs> guys. Jeez, I think we covered that in some depth, you know.